This evening we gather in heaven or on earth, I know not which, to celebrate the Feast of All Souls, the time to offer up prayers for the departed, to remember those who have walked before, and to touch upon the bedrock uh, of our life, the steadfast faithfulness and trustworthiness of God companioning us through thick and thin, good times and bad, sickness and health, in life and in death. It's easy for this day to stray into metaphysical speculation about the exact shape of the life to come. As you know, there is no shortage of elaborately graded architectonics spelling out what heaven looks like usually featuring a little too much guilt, G-I-L-T, but probably G-U-I-L-T as well. Filigree, mirrors, overstuffed neo-Victorian furniture. Rowan Williams writes of this human, all too human impulse in his gem of a book, Tokens of Trust. He says, our imagination is set to work and we produce pictures of the new world, the world we'd really like to live in, only they seem so often to produce only embarrassing cliches. Look at those pictures of the new heaven and the new earth that you sometimes see in the glossy publications that claim to explain the real meaning of the Bible. The painful truth is that they can't help looking like holiday brochures of the naffest variety. Lovely English word, naffest, go look it up. Rather than dwelling upon these glossy, hopelessly speculative castles in air, which are, after all, mere human constructions, what if we turned instead, dwelled instead, learned to abide and rest with quiet trust in the goodness and mercy of the God who refuses to let us go? So precious are we in God's sight. so-called Anglican Reserve can easily be misunderstood as mere waffling about tough questions when in reality it's born of taking the first and second commandments with utter seriousness. You shall have no gods before me, no brochures. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath. You shall not bow to them or worship them. So it is empty-handed, childlike trust, like an infant upon her mother's breast. We realize that that is enough, more than enough. Surrendering to love, waiting for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. We come to know in a way the glossy brochures can't depict that, yes, Yes, with the Lord there is mercy, plenteous redemption, where nothing is lost, nothing left behind. Even our sins, the most egregious things of which our conscience is afraid, touched by the purifying fire of grace, are transfigured, as Father Robert Capon writes, into glorious scars. 
So this day ultimately gestures away from human fantasy and towards the bedrock reality and trustworthiness of ever more intimate relationship with God who goes to every length, including death on the cross, to show us that nothing, not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, not powers, not things present, not things to come, not height, not depth, not nothing can separate us from the love of God. Time and again, across the scriptures, we encounter the God who comes to us in the depth of our need, sorrow, lostness, and grief, and tabernacles in us, with us, for us. See, the home of God is among mortals. Just think of Elijah, fresh on the heels of being provisioned with the widow of Zarephath and her son for days, no, weeks, weeks, on just oil jug dregs and a handful of meal, now sitting under the broom tree declaring all is lost, about ready to throw in a towel. Not so fast, Eli, says the angel of the Lord. Get up, get up and eat, get up and eat. Again, and again, we wander far away, and again and again, God calls us to return, runs out to greet us while we're yet far off with robes and rings and fatted calves. Again and again, we learn, slow pokes that we are. It's in returning and rest, in quietness and trust, that our safety, our salvation, our healing, our wholeness, our homecoming uh, is in God, touched and God tasted. You must, says George Herbert, sit down. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And so I did, so might we sit and eat. Again and again, Scripture shows us this faithful, trustworthy God who kneels down in the midst of our various nights to feed us and wash us, towel tied about his waist with mercy and love. Again and again, God comes to us in the humble elements that God has made and human hands have formed. It's very bread and wine, God's body, God's blood. Again and again, God comes to us in the midst of this so-called ordinary life, whether on earth or in heaven, I know not which. Like sparks, like sparks running through the stubble of our daily round, like shining from shook foil in 10,000 faces and places. Be not forgetful, reminds the writer of Hebrews, to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. These tokens of trust Reminders of the trustworthiness of God surround us at every turn. It's not God who is absent, but we, says Meister Eckhart, who are so often off on errands. Jeffrey Bilbro writes in a lovely little piece on the Anglican priest and poet R.S. Thomas, our, bless, our besetting sin, our besetting sin is hurry, 
and the remedy is to turn aside. He's speaking, of course, of Thomas's famous poem, The Bright Field. It goes like this. I've seen the sun break through to illuminate a small field for a while and gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price, the one field that had the treasure in it. I realize now I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying on to a receding future nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside, like Moses, to the miracle of the lit bush, to a brightness that seemed as transitory as our youth once, but is the eternity that awaits you. Right here, <clears throat> right here, in every common bush, all the blessed assurance we could ever need. In being gathered and recollected from our various dispersions, in stopping and seeing and turning aside and taking off our oh-so-thick-soled shoes, in shedding laying gently, ever so gently aside our preoccupations and fanciful projections in being stripped bare of thoughts, hall of mirrors, we come to taste and see, to touch, to encounter love actually, the one who was and is and is to come. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning, and in the waiting, mercy, mercy, and plenteous redemption. We think, as 21st century heirs of Descartes, that the blessed assurance for which we yearn that so vexes our little brains will come to us somehow in the acquisition of new or better information about God, rather than in relationship to, in union and communion with God. But thought, mere thinking, cannot reach it. See, comprehende non deus est. If you can think it, it's not God. Quips a rather impatient Augustine. The same Augustine, I might add, who, while he was writing his treatise on the Holy Trinity, had a dream about a child ladling water from the ocean with a seashell into a hole the child had dug in the sand. And what are you doing? Asks Augustine. I'm trying to scoop up the whole ocean and put it in this hole. It's impossible. Indeed, says the child. But I will sooner draw all the water from the sea and empty it into this hole than you will succeed in penetrating the mystery of the Holy Trinity with your limited understanding. Out of the mouths of babes, even in dreams. But waiting with those watchmen, prayer teaches us this. We come to know, to rest in the one who doesn't wax and wane, the one who doesn't blow this way and that like everything else. Beyond and beneath those gently shed Thoughts, words, and images, we discover a living presence still 
and dancing, holding it all in a gifted economy of love in which nothing is lost, nothing forgotten. We learn to leave the glossy brochures to the glossy brochure makers and relax back in simple, trusting, childlike confidence in the love of God who will not let us go even on the far side of death. It's not so much that our questions and doubts get answered as they, in a strange way, cease to have such a, such a grabby hold on us. Our friend R.S. Thomas has this to say about eternity, this earth or heaven, I know not which. May it not be that alongside us, made invisible by the thinnest of veils, is the heaven we seek, the immortality we must put on. Some of us, like Francis Thompson, know moments when those shaken mists a space unsettle. To a countryman, I think he's referring to himself, it is in the small field suddenly lit up by a ray of sunlight. It is T.S. Eliot's still point, there the dance is. Wordsworth's central peace subsisting at the heart of endless agitation. But there's more, he, he says, it is even closer. It is within us, as Jesus said. That is why there is no need to go anywhere from here. No need to go anywhere from here. The easeful remedy for hurry in this graced turning aside. Just the thinnest, thinnest of veils between us and the blessed caught up in the clouds together, company of the saints in light. Trumpets call in the crosswalk chirp. Trumpets call in the sputtering wrens. Tea kettle, tea kettle, tea kettle, tea. Amen.